Good morning. It's good to be in the house of God with people of God, worshiping God, experiencing God. That's what it's all about. I'm, uh, for those of you who forgot, I'm uh, Greg Boyd. I'm senior pastor here. Been away down in Mexico for a couple weeks, but I'm back. I uh, really appreciate Richard Coleman and Ephraim Smith filling in the pulpit. Uh, you know, Ephraim does an adequate job, doesn't he? You know, it's like, it's not me, but he's okay. <laughs> now, that guy is one of the most uh, gifted, anointed speakers I've ever heard in my life. He's just powerful. So, okay, uh, if you're visiting here for the first time or second time, uh, we want to really welcome you and uh, ask God to lead you and guide you uh, if you're looking for a church or whether this is the place he wants to plant you. But we're just glad that you're here. And if you fill out the visitor's form in the bulletin and turn it in the gathering area by our visitor's table, you can receive a, a cassette and some other information uh, about the church. We'd ask that you turn off your cell phones and pagers and stuff at this time. And if your child starts to act up, eh, doesn't like my sermon or whatever, uh, we have crying rooms in the back where they can go ahead and uh, exercise their lungs and we don't hear them. Uh, we, if you haven't signed up for a Growing in the Spirit information session, this is the thing where we're, we really are encouraging everyone to attend one of these. This is about what we're going to be doing the next three years, and uh, the Youth Center is a part of that, and uh, helping Ephraim plant the sanctuary is a part of that. And we want to give more information than we can give in a service. So we're encouraging everyone to attend that. It's a way of our, uh, all of us getting on board with where God's leading our congregation. Um, we uh, had our first one yesterday. We're having another one today at 1 o'clock. Those are filled up. And praise God for that. I love that. But we, uh, if you're going to attend one of the other ones, uh, there's an opening on the 22nd, Saturday, and on the 30th. Uh, please, we, we need to have an RSVP on that. And so just because we have to uh, know who's coming, how to set up, how many chairs, uh, child care, and food, and stuff like that. So please fill out one of those uh, forms if you haven't done so already. And there's uh, baskets in the back where you can turn them in, or you can fill them out right now as I'm talking, and uh, put it in the offering uh, as it goes through. Um, the Theological Institute is uh, beginning a new quarter on March 24th. There's an assortment of classes uh, that you might want to check out, and you need to register for that ahead of time. Also, the singles ministry. We have a lot of single people in this church, don't we? Uh, we have a lot of single people. Praise God for that. Uh, they're having a, a ministry, a focus ministry on Friday night uh, at the Comedy Sports, and uh, you're encouraged to attend that. Uh, you need to let them know, I, I believe, if you're coming. Uh, and that's singles of any age. It's not just, some people say I'm single, but I'm over 30, therefore I can't go. No, this is for all ages. Uh, otherwise, just read your bulletin for other information and ministry opportunities that are available. Uh, if our ushers would come forward, I want to read a text here this morning. We're going to do something a little different. Uh, we do this about once a quarter. Uh, the king, kingdom of God, church is not just about talking about the kingdom. We do a lot of that. But it's also about doing the kingdom. We are people who do the kingdom. And this morning we want to have a time where I'm going to set it up with a message and then we're going to have prayer teams all around this auditorium for you to uh, receive prayer for any need that you have in your life. And we'll worship the Lord during that period, but there's also going to be prayer opportunities. And I just believe that it's a time for some people to get set free uh, or to experience healing uh, or to see God moving in relationships that are struggling or, or whatever. Um, so we're going, to, we're going to have a time to do that. But I want to read this text here. And then pray for the offering. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountain, this is Matthew chapter 8, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. 
That just means cure him of his, the, the leprosy. Jesus reached out his hand, look at this, and touched the man. We're going to talk today about the, just the touch of Jesus. Touched the man, said, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the man was cured of his leprosy. And then later on in the passage, it says in verse 14, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her, and the fever left her. And she got up and began to wait on him. And throughout the Gospels, you see this pattern. Jesus touches people, and they're made whole. I want to pray that, that this message would be used by God to set the captives free. I want to pray for the uh, prayer time afterwards, that God would use that prayer time to set the captives free. And I want to pray for the offering that God would use it to further his kingdom. I need some people who will be intercessors throughout this uh, service. Would you raise your hand if you'll just keep, uh, keep the message and the prayer time in uh, prayer. Okay, good. Let's pray. Father, it is, uh, God, it's a joy to be together with God's people and to experience your spirit and to see people being set free. I thank you for every soul that was touched on Saturday night and on the first service. And we're praying, Lord, a double portion for this service, Lord. Set the captives free. And use the words that come out of my mouth, Lord, to do that, to, to just install truth in our brains. Lord, we trust your spirit to do that. Words can't do that alone. Father, during the prayer time, we pray that your spirit would just pack the place out like the Shekinah glory in Solomon's temple in the Old Testament, Lord. Pray, Lord, that, that your spirit would be so intense here in a sweet, subtle, and powerful way, Lord, that, that we would just be impacted and transformed by it and the captives would be set free. And Father, as we now continue to worship you, to ascribe worth to you and to your kingdom by giving back a portion of what you have blessed us with, Lord, we pray, Lord God, that you'd use it to further your kingdom. Bless those who can give. Bless those who can't give, Lord God, but in all of our hearts create an outrageous spirit of giving, Lord, that seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trust God to add, add everything else unto us, Lord. Be glorified during this time, we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said one more time, amen. Amen. God sets the captives free. You ever play that game freeze tag? Someone touches you and you're frozen. They say, freeze! And then you have to wait for someone on your team to come along and touch you and say, unfroze, and you can get back in the game. I was uh, several years ago uh, speaking at a camp up north, a family camp, and uh, I took my family with me to this camp. And after one of the evening services, I was watching the kids playing out in the courtyard, and they are playing this game of freeze tag. Uh, my youngest boy, Nathan, uh, he was about seven at the time, was part of this uh, group of kids playing. And at one point, he got froze. And he was kind of off the beaten path, kind of in the corner, uh, out of the light that was there, so he was a little harder to see. But he was froze. And for the longest time, he just he was stuck in this position. And you got to understand, my, my son Nathan is a, uh, a real rule-abiding kind of a kid. He's very concrete. And if you give him a rule, he sticks to it. And, and so if the rule says when you're froze, you got to act totally froze, he acts totally froze. He doesn't move a muscle. And... Uh, and most kids, after a couple minutes, if no one touches them, they just sort of cheat and get back in the game. But not Nathan. He's out there. He's out there just froze. And he's hollering for people. You know, hey, you guys, I'm over here. Somebody touch me. I want to get in uh, the game. You know, I want to play. Someone touch me. And no one's seeing him or hearing him or, or whatever or can get to him. And for the longest time, my poor son's out there frozen. Wants to get in the game, but the game is passing him by. Everyone else was running and having fun and laughing and joking, but here's Nathan out in the dark, right in the corner of the light, uh, just in his frozen position, crying out, will somebody touch me? I finally 
after about five minutes of this, I couldn't take it any longer. So I, I snuck around the back where no one could see me, and I came up to him from the back side, and I, I touched him on the shoulder. I said, unfroze! And he looked at me and just said, you're not playing this game. And I said, yeah, but I'm the camp speaker. <laughs> and I get to unfreeze whoever I want to unfreeze, and I say that you're unfroze. And he goes, cool! And then he runs back in the game. My dad's the speaker. It's not fun being frozen and sitting on the sidelines and watching the game pass you by. But do you ever feel like that in life? You get touched. Uh, something happens or a word is said or somehow you just draw a conclusion that freezes you. Freezes you maybe in a sense of loss when a loved one dies and you live with that, the haunting depression that just won't go away. And the rest of your life goes on as normal, but in this one area you're froze. You're frozen in an attitude. Maybe you're frozen in resentment or you're frozen in a perception of yourself that isn't true. And maybe you know the truth in your mind and in most areas of life you can apply it. But when it comes to certain circumstances, bam, you're back there. You're froze again. And to that degree, you're watching the game of life pass you by. God created us to uh, receive the fullness of his life in our inner being. He created us to, to uh, have our worth and our value and our disposition defined by his attitude towards us. And he created us to live life as an expression of what we have in our relationship with him. Life is meant to be lived full. He created us and saved us to live life full and free and passionate and with abandon uh, and, and uninhibited and, uh, and, and just living it to the fullest, to reflect who he is by the way that we live, by the way that we feel, by the way that we interact. That, that's what life's to be about. Full, free. The Bible says that Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. God's about life. He's about more abundant life, vibrant, passionate, joy-filled, power-filled life. But the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. One of the ways he does that, in fact, the primary way he does that, we talked about this several weeks ago, is through the pattern of this world, the matrix, a system of lies that permeate this fallen world that get installed in our brain, beliefs that we hold that are not true, that don't correspond with reality, but we're frozen in them. Every false belief that we have about God, about ourselves, about life, about relationships, it freezes us to some degree, and that's how the enemy kills, steals, and destroys the fullness of life that God has for us. It can happen in a lot of different ways. Growing up in this fallen world and just living in this fallen world, we receive things, we experience things, we hear things that freeze us. Freezes us, not freeze us. He wants to freeze, free us, but this freezes us. I was uh, with my father just before he died, just before he had the massive stroke that eventually took his life. Last time I visited him, in fact. And we were kind of just talking about our life. It was a wonderful conversation. The highs and the lows, the good times and the bad times. And he reminded me of an event that I had actually forgotten about. Uh, I, sometimes an event not only freezes you, but it, it freezes you so strongly it kind of freezes it out of the memory. And uh, he, he uh, relayed this event. It was one of the things that eventually led to the, his uh, divorce from my stepmother. But it was at a time in my life, I was about eight or nine years old, and he was just becoming aware of some of the abusive stuff that went on in our house when he was on trips. He traveled for two weeks at a time and didn't know about a lot of the, the stuff that went on at the house, and we always had to keep it secret. But he was kind of beginning to, to find out about some of this. He left to go on a trip, one of his two-week trips, 
But he said he got ha- about a half hour into it, and, and uh, as he's telling me this, he goes, oh, I was just kind of curious. All of a sudden, I felt very uncomfortable, and something said, I've got to go back. And now my dad, he was a believer at this time. He wasn't then, but he says, you know, I think that was God telling me something. I was like, you think? <laughs> he, he turned around and came back home, and he said, just as he turned the corner of our block, he could see at the end of the cul-de-sac as he was driving up to our house, um, something that just horrified him. I was cuddled in the corner of the, the, the garage, uh, curled up in a ball, and my stepmother had a two-by-four and was, was just beating me with it. And he pulled up to the uh, door, got out, and he was enraged. But he said, the thing that I noticed was that when you got up, uh, you were all marked up, but you, you weren't crying. In fact, you just had a stiff lower lip, this kind of, kind of rage. And see, what I, he didn't know, and I didn't even know at the time, but my, my feelings had been frozen some years before that. Nothing ever hurt me. I, I, I had cut that off. I was frozen in that. But events like that, you see, as I look back on it, I can see how, to some degree, uh, that event and events like it froze me in a perspective of the world, a nine-year-old kind of battered perspective of the world. Um, I, I saw authority as a threatening thing. People with authority carry wood, you see. And, and uh, the, at any time, and it, it could be just uh, an arbitrary, capricious time, they're going to hit you. I never knew when my mother would blow up. She, uh, some days would be fine, and other days she'd just snap. And the littlest thing, bam, she's got a two-by-four. And so you freeze in a perspective of the world as a scary place. You've you're, you're, you got to survive on your own. It's capricious. And, and people in authority, ha- uh, you know, carry wood. And to some degree, that I had to work through my, my view of God. My view of God was conditioned by that. At least in certain circumstances, I always felt like God was threatening. He's carrying wood. And it wasn't the wood of the cross. It was the wood that he's going to hit you with. See, so you get frozen. And the rest of my life went on as normal. You grew through your teenage years. You develop as a relatively normal teenager. You know, and, but, uh, but that area is frozen. And I know on some level that it's not true and I don't want to live like that and I'm crying on the sidelines, will someone touch me and unfreeze me? But until that happens, you're sort of locked there. I met a young lady, I'll call Marlene, uh, several years ago, who, uh, attractive lady, successful lady, life was, you know, fine, except in two areas, food and guys. And it turns out that when she was about 11 or 12 years old on a playground, she was a, a chubby, cute, sixth grader or so, and flirting with uh, one of the boys, the popular cute boy in the class. And at some point, this kid decided to show off to his buddies and turned around and, and said to her, why don't you just leave us alone, you fat pig? Froze. You're froze. And she locks that in. And now the rest of her life goes on, but whenever it comes to thinking about food, she freezes. Food is a bad thing, you know. Uh, uh, it, 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 uh, it will bring pain in your life. And whenever she thinks about talking to a guy, she freezes because she goes right back. She doesn't even know this, but goes back to that 12-year-old representation. It's part of her matrix. It's part of the way the enemy keeps her from, from living in the full life that God had for her. She's frozen. And at some level, she knows that, that it's not true, but she can't get unfrozen. She's on the sidelines and watching that aspect of life just sort of pass her by. It can happen in a million different ways. A close friend, maybe your best friend when you're younger, betrays you and tells everybody all the secrets that you told them and they turn on you. And you, you, you draw the conclusion that people aren't safe and you must never let anyone that uh, uh, into your life that close again. You're frozen. And you know that you're created for deep relationships and you want profound friendships and you want intimacy, but there's a part of you that even you don't understand that's frozen. 
Because the minute you think about that, you're back there feeling betrayed by this friend. Neighbor next door fondles you inappropriately and you freeze in an eight-year-old perspective that sex is a bad and dirty thing. And you're in a marriage now and you want to share intimate relationships with your husband and you want to enjoy them, but there's a part of you that just won't let yourself go. You're frozen. You grow up with a raging father. And now whenever, whenever anyone raises their voice, you're, you're back the six-year-old kid afraid of, 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 the, of the wrath. In other areas, you're competent and you're confident, confident and you can handle things. But as soon as someone raises their voice, you just kind of, you never stand up for yourself. What's with that? You're frozen. Or maybe you freeze in a different direction. You, you, you draw the conclusion that the only way you can ever be heard and the only way anyone's going to respect you is, is if you rage. And so you turn into a rageaholic just like your father and you're frozen. And on some level, you know that you're better than that. You're created and you're saved for more than that, but you're stuck. You're frozen waiting for someone to touch you, to get back in the game, to get back into life. Can be, can be uh, in this fallen world, the matrix is, consists of, of, of just about anything. A meaningless fourth grade football game, you fumble the ball in the fourth quarter, your team loses, the kids rag on you, maybe the coach gets mad, maybe your dad's embarrassed, but you lock in on the lie. You freeze in the lie that, that uh, whenever there's anything important to, done, you, uh, to, to, to get done, you're not the one to go to. And there's a lot of areas where you know you step into it, but, but there's a part of you that just resists this, and maybe you don't even know why it's there, but you're frozen. Crying out on some level, will someone come and unfreeze me? Raised in a rigid religious family, and you're frozen in the view that your worth before God is found not in who you are because of who God is, but found in what you do and how you perform. And, and you see other people enjoying this vibrant, joyful, uh, free relationship with God. And, 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 and you feel like you're on the outside of the game. And some part of you is crying out, will someone touch me? Will someone unfreeze me? I want to get back in the game. I want to live. I want to be full. I want to be free. Or maybe it's just that grandmother says you're a bad kid when you're three years old and you don't get presents. And you, you freeze in that perspective because the authority told you that. And you live a, a large part of your young life fulfilling that prophecy. And whenever anyone gives you gifts, you feel like something's wrong with it. It's just not right. It's, it's inappropriate. Froze. Messages, lies that we believe, conclusions we draw can be when we're younger, can be when we're older, can be things that we did, can be things that someone else did. It can be something that no one did. It just happened, but you lock in on it. Messages. The ways that the enemy touches you and says, froze, you're fat, froze, you're too skinny, froze, you got a big nose, froze. Your worth is found in what you acquire, froze. Your value is found in your body image, froze. You'll never amount to much, froze. You're always going to be alone in life. Froze. You're a disappointment. Froze. Your worth is found in the things you achieve, the things you acquire. Froze. If you don't cling on to things, you're going to lose them. You're froze. The only way to get revenge is to stay angry at people. You're froze. And all it takes is the right trigger out there, and bam, you're back in there, and the enemy is stealing, killing, and destroying the full, vibrant, passionate, free life that Jesus died for you to walk in held in bondage on the outside. Will someone come and touch me? What I want us to see this morning is so simple. It's just this. Jesus is willing to touch. He's willing to touch. And like me at the family camp, he's got the authority to touch. However big and important and traumatic the event was that froze you, Jesus is bigger. 
And, and he's the boss. He's the creator. He's the savior. He has the authority to touch you. And it all involves God's love. When God's love, you see, you, you can know God's love. You can, you can know that his attitude towards you is defined on Calvary. But the question is, does the nine-year-old or the 21-year-old or the six-year-old, does, does that part of you know that? Has, has, has the love of God permeated the whole playground of your life and touched the kid who's on the sidelines, who's on the corner, who's crying out, will someone touch me? It's about letting the, the love of God permeate every area of your being, the darkest memories in your mind, the darkest cellar uh, of the secrets in your heart, letting him in on the inside. He will not shame you. He will not hit you with a board. He wants to touch you and say, unfroze, unfroze, get back in the game. And the Lord can do it in as many ways as we get frozen. But it's always about his love. It's always about his touch. I want to share one way that the Lord does it. It's one of the most beautiful stories I've heard of someone getting unfrozen, but it's just, it's just the way that the Lord operates. It was shared with, uh, by a professor of mine at Princeton, uh, Professor Loader. Uh, passed away several years ago, but it was a profoundly insightful professor. He shared a story when he was a young pastor in this little congregation, how he, he uh, was visiting a psych ward, uh, because someone in his congregation's sister had had a breakdown and was in this psychiatric ward. So he'd visit her once a week. And when he visited her, he noticed that there's a, a, a lady in her mid-20s who was in the corner, always in the same place, in the same chair, with the same expression on her face, had this terrorized look in her eyes. And she would rock back and forth, just staring off blankly with, the, with this look of terror in her eyes. And they had to feed her. They had to dress her. She was oblivious to her, to her environment. He found out from the staff that her name was Roxanne, that she'd been there two years. And oddly enough, her mother had been in the same institution with that exact same look on her face. Uh, and it just died prior to Roxanne coming into this institution. Well, Professor Loader, at one point at the end of his meeting with the sister, felt led to go over to Roxanne and just pray for her a little bit. And, and, and every time he'd visit, he'd go over there and just say a prayer for her. Sometimes he'd read a little bit of the Bible or talk about God's love. And, and it just felt led to invest a little bit in her life. There came a point where the sister was being uh, released from the hospital. So he went over to Roxanne after the, his meeting with the sister and told Roxanne this is the last time he'll be there because uh, the lady he was visiting uh, is, is being released. But that the Lord loves her and that he's enjoyed you know, just praying with her, and that as the Lord leads, he'll remember her and keep her in prayer. And as he got up to leave, he noticed that Roxanne, even though she still had this look of terror in her eyes, had, had formed some tears, which let him know that he was getting through. He was getting through. And so he, he, he decided to keep on visiting her. In fact, he felt led to increase it to twice a week. He'd come and, and just pray with her, read stories, talk to her. He told her the first time he, he noticed that when he walked in the room, a little smile came on her face. Still had the terrorized eyes, still rocked back and forth, but a little smile came on, on her face. He knew he was getting through. He remembers the first time that she actually made eye contact with him as he walked in the room. He, he remembers the first time she said something. See, she was gradually, gradually getting unfrozen. Uh, he remembers the first time that she said something. It was a, 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 a strange thing, but he was getting ready to leave, and she said... He told me he'd send an angel to close the eyes. And that's all she said. And he had no idea what that meant, although he was going to learn about a year later what it meant. 
But he was just amazed that she was talking. And as time went on, over a process of, of about two years, he met with her twice a week, prayed with her, ministered to her. Roxanne began to uh, wake up, as it were. Uh, she began to share some parts of her life. She wouldn't talk to anyone else, not even her psychiatrist, but she talked to Professor Loader. In time, she was helping feed herself and dress herself. She was kind of coming alive again. In time, Professor Loader found out about her story and how it was that she got frozen in this position. You see, when she was 12 years old, she was living with her mother in Louisiana. And uh, uh, her mother was a high-strung, very nervous lady, uh, had had several breakdowns, and was terrified of storms. And in 1969, Hurricane Camille hit the coast of Louisiana, one of the worst hurricanes that's ever hit the uh, coast of the United States, killed hundreds of people. And when the full force of this storm was hitting, uh, she and her mother went down in the basement. As the house began to shake, her mother just lost it and just went berserk, screaming uncontrollably. Windows began to explode. The sound of the wind, she says, was like a thousand trains outside. It was just so, and her mother was just screaming uncontrollably. And then suddenly the house collapsed on them, trapping them in the basement for two days. And all she had was this little gas lantern uh, to see by. And the minute the house collapsed, her mother just froze, stopped the screaming, stopped everything. But she had this terrified look in her eye. And she curled up in a corner and just rocked back and forth, oblivious to her environment. And for two days, this little girl was down there saying, Mom, will you talk to me, Mom? And the mother just stared straight ahead with this terrified look. In time, uh, you know, two days later, they rescued her. The mother had suffered an irreversible nervous breakdown and was institutionalized and, in fact, never lost that look for a day, not a minute, until she died about 16 years later in a psychiatric ward. She was, she was committed permanently. Uh, Roxanne's life was a virtual hurricane after that. She was very fragile. Had, she suffered a couple of breakdowns, lived in a juvenile home, attempted suicide twice. Married at the age of 20, but it was a very rocky marriage. And at the age of 24, 25, right around there, as I recall, um, her mother died. And she uh, started going on a, on a total downward spiral. And at that point, her husband left her, said, I'm, I can't deal with this flake any longer, and bailed on her. And then the house came crashing in again. And they found Roxanne in her house several days later, just curled up in a corner, eyes staring ahead, terrified, rocking back and forth ever so slightly. Put her in the institution, and that's where she was for two years before Professor Loder had come. She later on reported to him that just prior to his coming over to pray for her for the, for the first time, just before that, she heard a voice in her head. And the voice said, I'm sending an angel to shut the eyes. Roxanne got to know the Lord, and, and uh, there came a time where Professor Loder felt it was time to, the Lord wanted to really touch her and unfreeze her from this nightmarish memory that she had. And so in a time of prayer right there in the institution, having had several years of working with her, he had Roxanne go back to that basement, go back to the storm, go back to the sound, see it and hear it, uh, a, a, like a virtual reality movie. And so uh, Roxanne was back there. And then Professor Loder said, no, Roxanne, look carefully. Can you, can you see Jesus in that basement? 
And at first, Roxanne, who is just totally associated with this memory, is saying, no, no, he's not here. No one's here. We're all alone. We're going to die down here. We're going to be buried alive. And my mother, she's not, she's not saying anything to me. She won't respond to me. All she has is these, these terrible, terrible eyes looking straight ahead. I'm all alone down here. I'm going to die. And Professor Lotus says, no, no, wait. You know Jesus loves you. You know that. You, you know that he's always loved you. And, and even when you couldn't feel him, he was there. He's in that basement. Look for him. He's there. Move the lantern away from your mother's eyes. And, and, and look around the basement. He's there. So Roxanne, in, in, in her mind, did that. And sure enough, over by the stairs was standing Jesus. And he had a calm, concerned, but peaceful look on his face. And then she began to relate to Professor Loder what was going on as the Lord was touching her in her mind here. The Lord just kind of patted her on the shoulder and, and, and didn't say anything. Or he said something, but she couldn't hear it, she said, because of all the sound of 10,000 trains, she said, uh, on the top of our house. Uh, but he, he, he assured her it was going to be okay. And then the Lord walked over to Roxanne's mother, curled up on the floor, staring straight ahead, and knelt down alongside of her and just began to caress her hair very gently. And the look of terror began to, 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 to leave her face. And then there came a time when Roxanne came over and sat next to him where the Lord, with this lo- loving, loving look in his eyes, just uh, reached out and closed the eyes of Roxanne's mother, just shut them very, very gently. And now she had a look of total peace on her. And then the sound of the trains on the top of the house stopped, and it was all quiet. The Lord turns to Roxanne and says, Roxanne, you've been down here way too long, looking at these eyes for way too long. It's time to go out and play. And she said, I don't want to leave my mother. And Jesus just said, your mother's very tired. Her eyes have been open for so long. Let's let her rest. I'll take care of her. She's all right. I want to go outside and play with you. And so he grabbed her hand, and they walked over to the staircase, which now was free of debris. They walked up the stairs and out this door, and when they came out the door, there was a field, a field that Roxanne remembers as a child where she used to go and play. And the sun was shining, and it was a bright day. And the Lord just said, it's all yours. Let's play. Unfroze. Unfroze. Time to get out of the basement. It's time to get out of the depression. It's time to get out of the loss. It's time to get out of the trauma. It's time to get out of the lie. It's time to get out of the matrix. Unfroze. Unfroze. The Lord wants so badly for us to live. He just wants us to live. He died that we could live free without the shackles of all the crap in our brain that the enemy uses to freeze us. He wants to, he, he wants to free us, say, unfrozen. It's the touch of his love that does it in the area that we're frozen in. And we just have to receive it and let him go in there into every nook and cranny and do his amazing work. That's part of what we want to do now the rest of this service. This isn't just talk. This is reality. The power of God is here. Jesus is here like he was in that basement of Roxanne right now, personally present, wanting to touch you. And maybe it's an area where you're frozen in your mind, or maybe it's a physical need, a, a sickness, a disease uh, that you have. The Lord the Lord died to, to, uh, to bring a provision for that as well, to touch you in that area. Or maybe it's a relationship struggle that you're in. Or maybe it's a financial uh, worry that you have. Uh, it could be any need whatsoever, but it's keeping you from living as God cr- uh, created you and saved you to live. We want to have time where we pray for that. Now, see, as we worship the Lord, and that's what we're going to do, we're just going to go back into worship. For about a half hour, we're just going to worship the Lord. 
we'll have teams around this auditorium in the back, on the side, and, and, and there's about 20 teams of people who, who want to pray for you. And I want you to just feel free at any time to go and, and get the prayer that you need. If you have to wait a little bit in line, just, just do that. As we're sitting here, those of us who don't go to the stations, I want you to, either as the Lord leads you, to be praying for the people who are there. Just say, Lord, let your, come in power, come in love, set the captives free. And or be worshiping the Lord, picturing the Lord in your mind, uh, letting him just be real to you. Uh, envision what we're singing about. Be fully invested in that. And see, as we do that, as we clear everything else and get fully invested to the degree that we're fully invested, we become the conduits, the channels, the faucet, as it were, that the power of God runs through. You're not only blessing God and, and benefiting yourself when you worship God in spirit and truth. You're blessing the people who are getting prayed for because the Lord is flowing through you. That's the value of collective worship and prayer. And so I want, the, I want us to just be solely, singularly, passionately focused on the Lord as we worship and as we pray. And as you feel led, uh, go to these stations. And, and, uh, and, and get the prayer that, that you need. We have seen on Saturday night in the first service Sunday just some powerful, powerful years of ice melted with the loving touch of Jesus. He wants to set the captives free. Amen. 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 Let him set you free. Let him set you free. You don't need to be in bondage any longer. Uh, could we stand as I pray and would the prayer teams take their, their, their places? And please feel free to go and get prayer. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, you are the finger of Jesus Christ. Come and touch all who need to be touched. Physically, emotionally, in our families, Lord, in all of our relationships, Lord, and in our businesses, Lord. Come and touch your healing, holistic touch and set the captives free that we may live the vibrant passion, that we can get back in the game and run and play and enjoy as you created us and saved us to run and play and enjoy life. Let it be done, we pray in Jesus' name. Saturate this place. Amen. Amen. I have brought to